0: Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast. Headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart.
1: We hope that everyone is enjoying a nice holiday break right now. And if you are listening during your travels or maybe on your way to work, we appreciate you tuning in to your favorite podcast. Yes, it is your favorite. You know it is. So we're recording this ahead of the holiday break when the three of us in this room right now will all be taking some much needed time off as maybe you were listening to this. And Gabby, big plans.
2: Big plans for the holiday break? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's always a whirlwind in my family because yeah, we travel to Texas to see all of our families. It's sort of like the real life for Christmases, it feels like, and you know, Never enough time with all the families, mm. but it is nice to it's see stressful. everyone. It's a little stressful.
1: It's stressful. We can we could do a whole podcast about holiday stresses. Holiday stress. I think we could, but yeah. I don't know if the listeners are here for that, but you know, let us know.
2: Hopefully in this moment in time, when you all are listening to this, we will all be relaxing Doing something not stressful, but how about you? What are your
1: holiday plans? You know, holiday plans. Every year I usually go to Oregon to go visit all of my high school friends, many of whom were in my wedding in 2022. That doesn't sound stressful. It, It is not stressful. It's very fun. We usually rent some sort of like kind of big group vacation home for a few days and then, you know, just get to hang out. Usually we go to the Oregon coast which is also great in the winter. Everybody says Oregon's really rainy, but usually the coast is actually very nice in the winter.
2: Mm, Uh, It's not too
1: windy and you can get some nice clear days out there, but yes, there are storms potentially. So usually we go do that. I get to visit my parents as well. And every once in a while, I um, get to run across my brother, Ben in Denver to see what he's up to. I don't know if we will, but it, it seems to happen randomly. We don't really make plans together. And then sometimes, oh, hey, we're both in Oregon at the same time. So we'll see if that happens this time. All lot. right. Yeah.
2: Well, good luck. Hello, Ben in Denver
1: also. Big listener. We appreciate your your patronage. Yes. Ben. Um, also, we appreciate our guest here today. Wonderful, wonderful co-worker, also a fellow KRQE investigative reporter with Gabrielle here. This is Anne Perrett. We're talking about joining us here in the care QE conference room slash podcast studio today. And thanks for being here.
3: Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm going to hold on to that wonderful,
1: wonderful coworker comment. Uh, Well, absolutely. It is (laughs) yours. I'm not taking it back. And to ask you what we were just talking about, what are your holiday plans this year?
3: I will also be traveling to Texas to see some family okay. and, um, this is
1: a popular state. It is. I've it's
3: uh it's where both large, <laughs> right. where we hail from, oddly enough, about a city away from each other, Gabby yeah. and I, um,
1: okay. So a little traveling.
3: Yes. And then to Michigan as well to, uh, you know, really experience some, some chilly weather. So my husband's family is from, so see some friends there and his family and, I'll, of course, be making time to listen to my favorite podcast as well. So,
1: Well, thank you. First of all, I was thinking Michigan and Texas, when you go, do you have like a certain place that you want to eat when you go there?
3: There's a taco shop in Texas that I always have to go to called Fuzzy's Tacos. I've heard of sure this place. you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I'm familiar. It's delicious. And then in Michigan, Lebanese food always. Okay. My husband is Lebanese and his family makes good Lebanese food, but the restaurants too are just top-notch.
1: Oh, cool. Well, enjoy while you're out there. So you both have worked on dozens of investigations this year, and that's what we're talking about here today. These investigations airing on KRQE News 13, usually around 5.30. We also post them to our website. Around the holidays as well, our viewers get a chance to see some of the best ones that you guys have done this year in a KRQE Investigates special. And for this episode, we're going to zero in on just a couple of topics from you both that got a lot of attention this year. So, Dan, let's start with you. What story or subject have you investigated this year that really sticks with you?
3: I was really fortunate this year. My stories took me to Quake County, Ruidoso, Roswell, really uh, across New Mexico, which is really fascinating getting to meet so many different people and hear so many different stories and how people are affected. I would say there was a story in Quake County where two ranchers, two brothers um, who own some land out there, their land had been surrounded by cattle guards. And it was put on county road. It's not their road. The county put them in. But the headache that it caused for them, they couldn't access some of their land. The um, cattle guards were not kept up. And you could just tell that this was an issue that like people in Albuquerque, Santa Fe, it may not have impacted them. They may not have ever heard about anything like this. But to visually show it, to get to go to Quake County, see truly what they were experiencing and the income loss, the impact facing them, and just to get to meet them was really astounding. And, and it it's clear that it resonated with people. It got a million views on YouTube, racked up a million views within just the weekend after it aired. So I know that it people felt for them as well. And of course, they had filed a federal lawsuit that's still making its way through the court system and will be taking some time. But yeah, I just enjoyed that one, getting to go out there.
1: It sounds like that was a story that Again, you know, for us kind of living in the city, that exposure to a rural element and then also seeing the feedback received online, you just realize that, you know, yeah, we're well, it may be rural there may not be a lot of people out there. But there still is a ton of interest out in a story like that. So very interesting.
3: Definitely.
2: Yeah, and so Anne and I share an office. We're both pretty plugged in usually to what the other is working on and we can turn to each other when we discover something really wild or see something compelling on a lapel video, for example. And one of Anne's stories that stuck out to me this year was part of her two-part series On the Border, particularly the increase in stash houses that were popping up in the metro here in Albuquerque. We're gonna play that first story here in case you haven't seen it.
4: Hey, Albuquerque police with guns in hand outside this single wide trailer yelling at a suspected smuggler who after he spotted them police say closed the curtains. Parts of the video are blacked out because of who's working the case and what they find once inside. The APD report shows detectives were led here on a tip a Mexican woman is being held against her will. Yeah,
0: there's more in the back room. I could see their heads up in that window.
4: Inside the trailer, police locate 60 people believed to have been smuggled into the country illegally, including children and their victim.
1: THAT'S THE GIRL WE'VE BEEN LOOKING FOR.
4: THE SUSPECTED SMUGGLER IS ARRESTED OUTSIDE THE HOME HERE. HIS CRIMINAL COMPLAINT SHOWS THE YOUNG WOMAN TOLD INVESTIGATORS HE THREATENED TO KILL HER IF FAMILY DIDN'T SEND MORE MONEY. But even after they did, she says he didn't let her go. She also shares the other women and girls were sexually assaulted, beaten, and starved. The abuse escalated if they didn't cook and clean for members of the smuggling organization. APD uncovered the stash house. Detectives call in Homeland Security investigations to take over. This is now a human smuggling case.
0: The conditions in these stash houses are egregious and shocking to the conscience. I would say most people could not fathom
4: hsi's deputy special agent in charge jason stevens says since october 2022 his albuquerque office has been dealing with an unprecedented increase in stash house discoveries
0: so i i was surprised i know historically that hasn't been a, a thing here
4: caught off guard he had to get help from other federal offices stevens and u.s attorney alexander Baez believe it's only going to continue
0: cartels have really pivoted their focus and the majority of their profits now come from human smuggling enterprises and no longer from narcotics.
4: A change he says his office is paying attention to.
0: It used to be that we required a certain number of migrants in in a a load or in a house in order for us to charge. Uh, We've completely reoriented that to focus on um, danger to the community, to risk and to connections to transnational organized crime.
4: With that threshold, Ubayas says not every so-called bad actor faces charges.
0: Our effort has really changed to focus on those who make profit off of you know the absolute misery and desperation of these migrants.
4: In December, Bernalillo County deputies respond to a call about multiple people jumping out of this semi-trailer.
5: There's a car pulling out too.
4: They end up arriving just in time to catch a suspected smuggler. Hola. Records show this man from Venezuela admitted to receiving $4,500 and two rifles to drive that semi up I-25 from El Paso with 51 people in the back, including three teenagers. HSI agents removed them one by one from a basement apartment. The criminal complaint says 47 of them were hiding behind this bookshelf. And it's noted this is one of multiple trips that month the truck made between the two cities. The man is charged with transporting illegal aliens, among other federal crimes.
0: This is the next stop for anything coming out of El Paso. Las Cruces, Deming, even sometimes Douglas, Arizona. We're getting loads from Arizona that come up as well. There's least resistance in New Mexico than there are other states.
4: What he means by least resistance, Deputy SAC Stevens explains, is less enforcement.
0: So you have Texas DPS that's working, right? You also have the state troopers that are working it. The same in Arizona, there's additional pressure applied there, and you've got the National Guard that's there. Well, in New Mexico, you've got your Border Patrol resources, and that's it.
4: Beyond that, he says Albuquerque's an ideal stop with its two interstates, I-40 and I-25.
0: Questions that come to my mind is, could this be a problem? And my answer is yes. Uh, we want to make sure that we're not behind the power curve, and I believe we already are.
4: Sheriff John Allen says with his deputies responding first to a lot of these calls, he's working to develop a training on how to identify the suspect immediately to protect the people being held in a house or vehicle.
0: We need to separate them. We don't want people being re who are just trying to come here to have a better life. It is an issue. I don't want it to become a crisis
4: the U.S. attorney says people smuggled here do not typically face criminal charges for illegally entering the country, but that doesn't mean they all get to stay in the U.S. He says some are flown back to their home countries. Others seek asylum and get to stay, and a handful stay because they become material witnesses in the case against their smuggler. Ann Perret, KRQE, investigates.
2: And tell us about that. How did you first hear that this was happening and what was your process in reporting about these stash houses?
3: We first heard about it looking through the federal court records. We noticed an increase in search warrants for stash houses and also criminal charges for people behind these stash houses. That kind of stuck out to us. We went to the feds and said, is this what we think it is? Is this an uptick? And sure enough, Homeland Security Investigations deputy special agent in charge, as you heard him say in this story, says, yeah, like we've never seen this here. We did not expect this. They had to call in extra help. So it first started with confirming that it was something we thought it was, sitting down with HSI, hearing from them about how these investigations play out, and then talking to the U.S. attorney about holding you know, whoever is responsible, accountable. But learning from him, as as you heard in the story too, not every bad actor is held accountable, how that's kind of changed over the years. And also getting the lapel really, I think, changed this story. The feds who are typically the ones handling these cases do not wear body cameras. But we knew that a lot of these cases started with either family members of some of these migrants who had been shoved into these stash houses, they called police, neighbors called police. So we knew that the local police were responding first. So doing a public records request with the local police agencies and getting their body camera, showing them responding, just really helps, you know, what you see on paper come to life and you realize, Oh my goodness. And I think as you're, as you mentioned, that's the conversations that we had was Gabby. Oh my my goodness, there were 50 plus people all shoved in this tiny basement apartment. Can you believe this? And the two of us having those conversations and kind of just seeing... Just how wild it was. We knew it would resonate with people.
1: I want to get back to a little bit of what you you mentioned there. You know, we know that it's the local agencies, so Albuquerque Police, the Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office, those officers and deputies with those two agencies are usually the ones who end up responding to these stash houses. Cause right, they're they're kind of just in the middle of a neighborhood. They sometimes make these discoveries, which I imagine are surprising for them, seeing all of what's going on. And then Once those guys respond to the scene, that's kind of when usually they make that determination. Does someone else need to know about this? Right. Then it may become a federal investigation. Is that kind of how that process works and how that happened here? It sounds like.
3: Yes. Sometimes HSI was the first one called in. There were some of those cases where it was clear from the beginning from the 911 call that this is a human smuggling case. But the ones we were able to highlight to get that lapel, that body camera footage Yes, that was, they realized, okay, this is something bigger than what we thought. These, there are migrants potentially in this house, and this is the federal, this is the fed's jurisdiction. We need to, we need to call them in for help.
1: And that partnership seems to have been a big thing that we've seen over, I think, the last year, the fed's having a lot of news conferences with the sheriff, the police department. They've really tried to highlight the fact, this idea that, hey, we work together uh, a lot.
3: Definitely. And something I mentioned in the, in the story, too, I know you said BCSO, APD, when they respond, they're surprised. BCSO, talking to the new sheriff, John Allen, he mentioned just changing up their training because they were responding to so many, trying to figure out what's difficult is... Some of the people who are the perpetrators who are not providing the food, who are maybe, you know, connected to some of these sexual abuse allegations, physical abuse allegations, they're mixed in with these people. So he was trying to, you know, come up with some sort of training, working with the feds. How do we identify who's doing this? Who's the victim and make sure that the victims are comfortable enough also in interviews to talk to us and tell us that because they continue to be scared that entire time if the person who did this is sitting right next to you, you know.
2: When you first obtained those lapel videos, what was something that struck you when you know you're you're finally seeing the trailer home and the number of people who were crammed in there? It was so upsetting.
3: I think I immediately just got emotional because you're looking at the size of the trailer, you're looking at the size of the basement apartment which is shown on the lapel And you're thinking, how on earth were this many people shoved in here? How long were they in here? We don't know. We may never know. A lot of times they do say it is just a few short days because then they move to the next stash house and the next stash house getting to where they need to be. But you know they haven't eaten. In the lapel regarding the trailer, the trailer home, you can hear people coughing. And we hear on the lapel One of the police officers says the vent was stuck. It was closed. This is December of last year. There's no heat coming in. And it was where all the women were, you know, and we know that there are kids mixed into. It's just so upsetting because you know that these are people who are desperate for a better life. You know that they wouldn't be doing this if they weren't desperate You know that some of them sold their land, gave up anything in where they came from, whichever country they came from, and used all of that money to get here. And this is, you know, the circumstance that they found themselves in. And HSI agent even, I was asking him, like, you guys are responding to these back to back. You don't have a big team. So it's the same people going every time. You have families, you know, what is this like for you? And You know, just as any police officer would say, you kind of have to separate your yourself and separate your emotions. But he talked about just, is this a better life being stuck here?
1: You know, we also know that you went to the border here this year and got a firsthand look at how people are being smuggled into New Mexico. It's a dangerous journey for people. It's risky, but it's also pretty organized in a sense that smugglers know how to circumvent the laws in a lot of these cases, right?
3: Very organized. That was eye-opening. In that investigation, Border Patrol agents pointed out smugglers, suspected smugglers who were standing at the, the top of the mountain. What you'll see in that story is in that area of New Mexico, Texas, Mexico, that kind of border area, there's a mountain. The wall doesn't run south of it. So there are people who are for hours going through the mountain to get into the U S that's how they utilize it rather than just like hopping over the wall, climbing through the wall, smugglers at the top, they use their cell phones to communicate with people. Okay. There's a border agent over here. You know, it's just all very calculated as you mentioned, organized, but not even just from that and getting over it's once you get into New Mexico, we had read in the federal court documents and Talk to Border Patrol about it too. The checkpoints that you see. So in Las Cruces, kind of some of the southern cities that you drive through. Yes. So normally there are inspections done on every car. You're questioned, right? But Border Patrol, much like every other industry, is suffering. They don't have enough people. So when they don't have enough people on a shift, they hit the green light and people are just waved through. No inspections done. Well, they've got people. According to border patrol, there are human smugglers. Part of that organization are, are there nearby watching, oh, okay, it's green and it's going to be green for this amount of time. So you guys should go through now. Mm. Just fascinating. The things that were picked up by the organization and just kind of how it all plays out.
1: Well, again, yeah, it is a very interesting story. We know we played it here for you. We will post a link to it as well if you're visually inclined to check that out and see the visuals that match the audio here. And thanks for bringing us that story here this year. Just one question about process. How long did it take you to put that all together?
3: Well, any records request takes a lot longer than any of us would would like. So it was waiting for that that really was the bulk of it. You do the research while you're waiting, but you don't know what you're going to get in that. And as soon as I got that, I requested those last December. The majority of those, I still don't have a lot of them back. You know, we didn't get to show all of them and we're hoping to do some follow-ups showing those once we get them, because this continues to be a problem and continues to impact um, New Mexicans and the metro area. But started with those requests a year ago and finally got it on air in October course you know there's coordinating schedules and everything to get these interviews done and i think i finally was able to connect with the right people the feds and border patrol and and get those done this summer so worked on it for for quite some time but that's not unusual gabby knows that. that's
1: what you do all right well we're going to take a quick break we'll be back after that with conversation about the work that gabby is going to talk about from one of her highlights here this year Okay, and we're back. This question, similar to what we asked Anne earlier, we know we're going to talk about one particular story, but just ask you, Gabby, what stories did you report on this year other than this one we'll profile that really stuck out to you?
2: I did, a, I know Anne talked about, yeah, her sort of two-part series. My quote-unquote like white whale this year was putting together a series about mental health and behavioral health in New Mexico and sort of cases that get, you know, falling through the cracks, what happens to someone with mental health issues when they're arrested or go through the court system. I was interested in sort of figuring out that answer. And the answer is a complicated one, as you can see in some of those stories and cases. So yeah, and then I went to Las Vegas, New Mexico to see the Behavioral Health Institute and how that works. People get sent there, usually on a court order, when they're found both incompetent to stand trial and also dangerous. So trying to flesh out how that process works in New Mexico and are there potential solutions to what feels like a very large problem in our state. I think that really stuck out.
1: Yeah. And we also had a podcast episode, a person that you interviewed for that series, Casey Quirk, who uh, spoke to this in a really extended interview that is worth checking out. That also delves a little bit deeper into that. It was Really good to see those stories come on air. I know you how hard that <laughs> you'd been working on that over the last year so. Let's talk a little bit more about what this story that we want to profile here this year. This is related to a traffic stop with a Bernalillo police officer, right? Yes. And this is a family who essentially was had an emergency and they're trying to get to where they need to go and they find themselves in this traffic stop which turns basically into a, a really
2: scary situation.
1: Yeah, a scary situation. So without any further ado, let's take a listen to this story. Is there anything that you want people to know before they hear it?
2: I think the story just speaks for itself. Yeah. All right. It was a neighborhood cat that lured Stella the Labradoodle into traffic in July. I was Oh my God, our dog just got hit. The Albrecht family jumped into action.
5: We jumped in the car and started get, trying to get to the ER as fast as we could to try to save her life.
2: William Albrecht headed down 550 through Bernalillo from their Rio Rancho home toward the nearest 24 hour emergency vet. He spots a Bernalillo police cruiser.
5: So I imagined if, you know, if he was gonna pull me over for speeding and pull over, he'd say something to me and then maybe even help us get there. You know, I've heard of stories like that before, but that didn't happen.
2: Driver, step out of the vehicle. This is what did happen.
1: Uh, face the away from me.
2: Lapel video shows Officer Jeremy Navarez put Albrecht at gunpoint, ordering him out of the car. Step
5: back. Step
2: back. Realizing what's happening. My dog's going to die. Albrecht's wife starts recording on her cell phone. Roll the window down, Remy. I'm thinking, I, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this. Like why didn't someone just come check with us, find out what the reason our speeding was and help us. She and her son watch in disbelief.
0: Step back, go to your left.
2: As Navarez directs Albrecht into traffic, backup arrives, but they continue with a felony stop. Get Get
5: on your knees.
2: Guns drawn. His wife and 16-year-old son now at gunpoint. Albrecht is handcuffed. My dog's
5: about to die. I saw my son was sticking his hands out the window too, like, dude, our dog's gonna die. Okay, come to me. Dog. dog's gonna die. And none of them seem to even care at the moment at all. My neighbor my dog. That's my son. My wife. Please, sir, my dog's about to die.
2: He's taken to the back of a patrol car.
5: Sir, my dog's bleeding.
2: Albrecht's wife tries to explain.
1: She's going to die. She got hit by a car. Look at his face, sir. Look, she's bleeding. Look at my dog. My dog is
2: bleeding out of the face. And they're holding us on the side of the road. The officer who pulled them over wrote in his report that Albrecht was speeding and driving recklessly. But he wasn't given a citation, and there's no video of a pursuit. That first officer also never walked up to the family's car to check on the dog or ask why they were speeding. Officer Navarez's report says he drew his firearm and pointed it towards the immediate threat, writing the driver looked mad with his hands clenched in the air. The officer's video shows otherwise. Driver,
0: step out of the vehicle!
5: The second I saw my uh, guns to my son's head, like I really felt like when I got out of the car, like this dude might shoot me if I make the wrong move. <laughs> I can't go ahead Price, man.
2: Another officer convinced Navarrez to let the family go.
5: Get out of going unit. go ahead and
0: downgrade.
2: The cuffs come off. Their dog, Stella, didn't make it. It's horrible. Like, she was such a great dog. So how did speeding turn into a felony stop? The family had no weapons or warrants.
5: I can't believe you pulled your gun on my kids, sir. Oh, yeah, I hear
2: you. We asked for a copy of that policy and the use of force policies from Bernalillo Police. But those policies don't explain what happened here. BPD's policy does call for de-escalation, saying the level of force employed must be commensurate with the threat posed by the subject and the seriousness of the situation. Officer Navarez claims Albrecht didn't immediately pull over, which he disputes
5: as soon as i noticed the lights i i pulled over
1: Oh, now
4: confirming the vehicle stopping
2: 33 seconds after his first call to dispatch he says they're stopped
4: mm-hmm.
2: No one came at him,
5: no one threatened him, and and again, like, w- what did he see that scared him so bad? I mean, this guy was angry.
2: The Albrecht saw just how angry watching the officer's recording.
4: Are you kidding me? So he's
2: going to complain. They also heard Officer Navarrez's explanation.
0: Well, yeah, so I did a felony stop on him because he wasn't stopping when he stopped. Once we found out his dog was injured, and then he's trying to get to the we tried the idea and let him go, but he's being
5: That guy shouldn't be a cop.
2: What was going through your head? Just scared.
1: Just calling my dad names and stuff. It's not right. Shouldn't be a police officer.
2: We called Bernalillo police to ask if they're investigating the stop. We left messages for the chief. Called and emailed but we never got an answer we also showed the video to the ACLU I do think it was an excessive use of force an unnecessary use of force and this is why people are fearful of the police Maria Martinez is the legal director for ACLU New Mexico police departments just need to really um, be serious about consequences when this type of thing happens so in this specific case, I think these officers should be disciplined. Gabrielle Burkhardt, KRQE Investigates.
1: So how did you hear about this story, Gabby? And and what process did you go by to investigate it?
2: This started with, I want to say it was a three sentence email from the father who said, my family and I were rushing to get our dog to the emergency vet and were pulled over by Bernalillo police and held at gunpoint. And just those three phrases got our attention, right? And it's like, if this is true, this could be interesting. And why were they held at gunpoint? So I initially, I think the first thing I did was I called the dad. And I I believe it was so fresh on his mind. I remember that phone call. I walked outside here in the parking lot and he almost was like getting emotional with me over the phone, just saying how terrified he was as a father to see his 16-year-old son you know, have guns pointed at him by the police. Um, He said, I know I was speeding. You know, our dog had just been hit by a car. We rushed in the car to try to save her life. And, you know, people who live in New Mexico know how spread out the city can be. And they live in Rio Rancho. I mapped out where the closest 24-hour vet was from them. And yeah, it's, it's a good distance. They had to go up 550 drive quite a ways. So he was like, you know, yeah, I was speeding. But as soon as I saw police lights, we pull over. He was just confused. Why was this a felony stop? And that's really what struck my attention too. I wanted to get that answer. Why, why were guns pointed for a speeding stop?
1: I find that how you got the tip so interesting, because I share a similar experience. You just get a few sentences sometimes, and you honestly don't know what is real and what's not. And it always behooves further investigation. And sometimes it ends up being a story that is really worth sharing because yeah, on other times we get emails that make claims and could go on for, with a lot of detail and you find out <laughs> that there's something more to it. So yeah. um, that maybe says we shouldn't report on this story for whatever reason. So this was the opposite though. This was certainly a story that was worth putting out there. When you put that story out, did you get any sort of feedback or response from the town of Leo or the police department?
2: So quick note too on, on the initial tip, the other thing that the family did and included in their message to me was Tara Albrecht, the wife who was sitting in the car during this traffic stop started recording on her cell phone. So I had seen at least from her perspective a glimpse of what they went through through her cell phone. So that also added. And I think that was smart of her to do because, you know, again, we all live in a world where you just assume everything's being recorded. Right. But when things started going a little South, she wanted to record because she was like, I, you know, I couldn't see my husband. They pulled him out of the car. So yeah, you can, you can hear and see all of that going down. But did I get any feedback or response from Bernalillo? So I had emailed the chief several times, called, left messages, also called the town, requesting interviews, a statement, let them know I was doing a story about this. They also knew I had requested the records. But no, the the chief never got back to me. You know, when you go to that police department too, it's kind of hard to, it's a very small building. It's not like, you know, APD where they just have a clear entrance and it's just a little different, right? It's a very small town. Yeah. So did not hear back from anyone. And then, yeah, I did have a phone call with the mayor who said he could not talk due to pending litigation because at that point the family had obtained a lawyer and had they had served the town of Bernalillo with a tort claim, which means we intend to file suit against you. So after that happens, usually officials will say, we can't talk pending litigation.
1: Yeah. What is the status of the case right now?
2: So we do know there was kind of a, an unexpected turn. Jeremy Navarrez, who was the initial officer who pulled the family over, was arrested by Rio Rancho police later, totally unrelated to this traffic stop for a battery case that was brought to my attention. So there were also a couple of restraining orders filed after our story. One of those restraining orders actually mentions our story mm. and how, you know, it shows Jeremy Navarro is getting very aggressive and angry. And the woman writes in her restraining order that basically she wrote that. He has anger issues and he was arrested through the criminal complaint that I was able to read and find in court records for Navarrez's battery case. It alleges, yeah, basically a domestic dispute between him and a woman that was enough for the Rio Rancho police officer to arrest him and file a battery charge. So been following that case as well. And after that happened, I reached back out to the town of Bernalillo, and the police department to ask what his status was, because they wouldn't ever even tell me or confirm, is he being disciplined in any way for this traffic stop? Are you all investigating it? I didn't ever get that answer from Bernalillo police. Interesting. After the officer was arrested for the battery, though, the mayor did confirm with us that Jeremy Navarez is still employed with the town of Bernalillo, but he is on administrative leave pending an investigation. So that's what we know. And the battery case is pending.
1: And so is the lawsuit still, correct?
2: The lawsuit up to this point has not been officially filed, but they do intend to file a civil rights lawsuit against the town of Bernalillo and the officers.
1: What is the biggest challenge you face in your investigative reporting? It could be even specific to the story we just talked about, or even more broadly speaking.
2: I think records is one of them. You know, in order for me to prove or find out what happened in the traffic stop. For example, I requested public records from the town and, you know, by law, they are supposed to give them to me, but, and and they did to their credit. So that's how we were able to kind of shine a light on this. And that story also got a lot of, you know, tens of thousands of YouTube views. And one of the comments really stuck out to me, And and this is kind of why I do this job, right? One of the comments said, thank you for reporting this. We would never know about these instances if the news didn't do a story about it. And it's like, that's so true, right? The family would have gone through this kind of in their own life and it was very traumatic for them. And they tell me they're, you know, going to a counselor and over it and stuff, but there wasn't an arrest. They weren't even given a citation for that traffic stop. So had it not been for the dad just getting very frustrated and wanting somebody to hear them out no one would know that this happened. So I just think that that the challenge of reporting while it is a challenge and trying to get people to talk, I think it can also be very rewarding when people just at the end of the day want to feel heard or their needs sunlight shined on something bad that happened.
1: And same thing. What are some of the biggest challenges you face through your investigative reporting here? Maybe it's to this story or to something else.
3: I will agree that waiting for records certainly tests your patience because we're eager to get the story out. You know, we know that whatever we put out could potentially change a person's life, could could help them in some way. But I would also say a big challenge would also test patience is dealing with those accountability interviews, trying to get the right people to talk as as I know Gabby mentioned. The police agency, the mayor, they can't talk, right? You know, you couldn't get anything with that when they are kind of some more tense stories like that. The state not responding to things. Um, I had a few stories involving CYFD earlier this year, and, you know, sometimes you just get statements. And I think it's just really frustrating because you know that these people, they are public figures. They work and are paid by the public. And so to me, they have an obligation to answer questions. We are simply the vessel. We are asking questions on behalf of the community. And so when they're not responding, I'm frustrated. And then I have to put that in the story. And then sometimes the story feels like it's not the full story. And I think that that's certainly a challenge. Also having to wait for them sometimes, because sometimes they do say, oh, well, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk. And then you're waiting another week and another week. And again, you want to get that story out there because you don't know who it could impact and you know, you're know you eager to kind of share it with the community.
2: It's a disservice often, I will say, to the public employees who could be listening. It's a disservice when you don't answer questions like this. I, th- I think that's definitely a challenge.
1: Yeah, and to note, you know, New Mexico's public records law is actually very strong in favor of the requester. There is a lot of leeway that is given towards records requests. But just because it's there, it doesn't always mean that the agency is going to fulfill it on time or within the bounds of the law. And obviously they have their own staffing to deal with that determines how long it may be a wait. There are other states where you have to pay exorbitant amounts of money for public records. And there are other states that really have no real records process quite like New Mexico's. So as in There are other states that are very limited in what you can request. So,
3: But Chris, that's why we keep a very detailed account of when we requested it and then bother and bother and bother them until we get it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of notes, a lot of notes taken and uh, schedules and spreadsheets and dates (laughs) to follow up on. Well, the KRQE Investigates special, it aired on KRQE News 13 on Christmas Day, but you can catch it again on KRQE at 4 p.m. on Wednesday, December 27th. It is also on the KRQE YouTube page. We have a section for specials. I want to thank you both for being here, but in the nature of Christmas and holiday surprises, I want to both throw a couple quick get-to-know-you questions, because why not? So I have five of them, and you got to just throw something real quick at it just for those who are still listening at the end of this episode here. And water park or theme park?
3: Water park. Why?
2: More enjoyable.
1: Mm, okay. Gabby?
2: I would say theme park, actually.
1: And how come?
2: Uh, I just have fond memories of going to Six Flags as a kid, and the idea of people Maybe peeing too much in the water. <laughs> okay. I thought we were supposed to be quick.
1: No, <laughs> no, no. You can yeah. give a little bit more to it, but it's fine. It's uh, fine.
2: That's something I thought about more as an adult than I did as a kid. And I'll still go to a water park. Don't get me wrong.
3: Uh, but. Any
1: reflection upon Gabby's... Um, <laughs>
2: well, she ruined it for
1: everyone. <laughs> It's okay. I, I'm I'm a water park fan too. I think that uh, water slides are exhilarating.
3: Okay. Also growing up in Texas, Six Flags is a thousand degrees. That's true. And Hurricane <laughs> Harbor, which is what was close to me, any water park, you know, much more enjoyable in, in the hundred degree
2: summer days.
3: Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Favorite type of food?
2: Mediterranean. Okay. Definitely New Mexican. Okay. Love me a good sopapilla. All right.
1: And yeah, if New Mexican isn't your favorite food, I get that, too. You know, I'm, I'm a transplant, as they say. I am from Oregon. I would say seafood is kind of up there just because I, I don't really get to have it quite as often. And it was a little bit more accessible when I was in Oregon. So makes sense. Yeah. Favorite video game.
3: Oh, I don't exactly play video games, but I did have a Game Boy as a kid and I loved playing Mortal Kombat.
1: Oh, my goodness. OK, see.
2: Yeah, I have a five-year-old and right now she is playing the old school Sonic and I played it with her a few times actually the other day and it's pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, at this point there are people who do play video games more regularly, but I feel like they're so ubiquitous out there. Almost everybody has an intersection with a video game at this point. Snake, even on a Nokia cell phone, I'll say. The best. (laughs) Okay, we're going to switch it up in the sake of keeping you guys on your toes. Best holiday memory. Gabby, go
2: singing Christmas songs in my daughter's class. This is now the third year that my husband and I have done this. And it was so funny the first year when she was three in pre-K, she would like sit very in the back. I think she was like very (laughs) embarrassed that I was there singing. And yeah, this year she was just way more engaged. She wanted to announce each song to her class and it was so cute. And yeah, I think when I was a kid, Christmas songs and I was always involved in choir. so. The singing at Christmas has always been my favorite.
1: Part, oh, I, I agree. I can think of memories of my choir teacher in elementary school showing up on her doorstep with all of her carolers, <laughs> and it was it was a moment. It was cool. It was cool. So
3: memorable. Yeah,
1: it was memorable.
3: <laughs> um, I would say making gingerbread houses with my cousins. Okay, they never turned out looking good at all, but we got you know some sugar highs and had a good time, and now that's transferred to doing it with my niece who is four and this year we got one that's already assembled which Mm. i think is cheating but my sister said will be less stressful so
1: good deal well okay and it wouldn't be a news podcast without asking this very last question here if you can think of the craziest news story you feel you've ever reported
2: naked guy tries to steal a car
1: Okay. I don't remember that one. We can maybe throw a YouTube link in if we yep. if we can find it.
2: I know one guy who <laughs> follows me on Twitter. He's a professor at UNM. He reminds me of this story almost every year because it was, yeah, it was his car. Oh, wow.
3: First thing that came to mind, we had protesters um, related to the Flint water crisis. This is when I worked in Flint. Um, and they were staying in a park in a very, very nice neighborhood and had been excited over and over again they were trying to kick them out and one of the local city council members came over there giving a speech to them trying to get them out of there turns to us and says this is not a hotel a motel or a holiday inn my gosh quoting that you yeah. know wonderful song if you and know you know very just blank stared at us no laughter i didn't know how to respond it was it was great.
1: Hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. That would be a Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight. That is what that is from. So saying it just without any context yes. and expecting y'all to take that seriously in, in what was obviously a very serious story. It was it's just so such serious. A bizarre situation.
3: Yes, very bizarre. And my old photographer has it recorded on his phone the clip and will randomly send it to me all the time, and yeah. it, it makes my day.
1: Some interesting moments out there in news reporting. Well, yes. Thank you both for doing the work. What's the best way to reach you guys again?
3: You can always email me at anne.perrette at krqe.com
2: or find me on any social media platform. It's at anneperrette. And I'm gabrielle.berghardt at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media.
1: Thanks again for listening. I'm at at krqe.com, also at McKee TV. Happy holidays. Hope you enjoy your New Year's and thanks again for listening.